to the podcast for North Decatur Presbyterian Church. We are a PCUSA congregation located in Decatur, Georgia. You can find out more about the church, our service to the community, and our great education programs for children like me and youth and adults at ndpc.org. You can also follow us on Facebook. If you're in the Atlanta area, we hope you'll come join us in person. Okay, that's it. On to this week's scripture and sermon. Our scripture reading this morning is from Matthew's Gospel. We're beginning our exploration of a set of teachings by Jesus called the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mountain. Even Jesus preached a sermon here and there. And Jesus went up onto a mountain just like Moses had gone up onto a mountain long ago to talk to God And Jesus came to the people with a set of teachings, some words that he wanted them to hear. Listen to these words from Jesus. They are also for you. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who are meek, for they will inherit the whole earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for what is good, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are those who have pure hearts, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are harmed for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when People revile you and persecute you when they make fun of you and when they say bad things about you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad when that happens, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the exact same way, they persecuted the prophets who came before you. You are the salt of the earth. If salt has lost its taste, how can it be restored? It's no longer good for anything. It's thrown out and trampled under our feet. And you are the light of the world. A city that's built on a hill can't be hidden. People don't don't light a lamp and put it under a basket. They put it on a lampstand so it provides light to the whole house. In that exact same way, let your light shine before others so that they might see the good things that you do and in seeing give glory to God. That's the word of God for us, the people of God. Together we say, thanks be to God. All right, let's see. I got some things here. Okay, what do we got? 
All right. We got a candle, and what's in here? All right, you heard Jesus say two things about you. He said you are salt and you are light. What on earth does that mean? Does that mean you're really salt? Does that mean I should put you on my scrambled eggs? No. So what does Jesus mean when he says you're salt? What does salt do? Oh, yes, it does. It makes things taste better. It makes things taste better. And, you know, back in Jesus' day, they did not have refrigerators. And so when they used salt, they used, it kept the food from going bad. So salt makes things taste delicious, and it keeps them from spoiling. So what does it mean to say that you are salt? What would it mean to live in a way that you were salt? What do you think? Mm, well, you might not put salt on strawberries, but, but salt does taste good. So if you were to live, what if you were to live in a way that made other people's lives delicious? Not like we're going to eat each other, but like, you know, like if you were kind of, if you walked around in the world and when you walked in a room, someone said, oh man, I'm glad Aiden's here. I'm glad Aiden's here. You'd be like salt on scrambled eggs, you'd be like, oh my gosh, it's so much better now that Cora Ann is here. What does it mean if you are light? Does it mean that you actually emit light, that, uh, that I, I could take you out in the nighttime and you, I could walk with you on a dark road? What does it mean that you're light? What does light do? Yeah. It makes things lighter. Yeah, what else? Yeah, you got it. Yeah, so what does it mean to say that you, you are light? You shine. You Maybe when, again, you walk into a room and all of a sudden people see things more clearly. They can see when, when otherwise before, maybe it was dark, but all of a sudden when you're around, people are good to each other. You bring kindness into a room. You bring love. Jesus says that wherever you go, you are salt and you are light. <laughs> I'm not going to mix them right now because this is not chemistry class. This is church. But maybe we'll try it after church. Will you say a prayer with me? We'll do it outside later. How about that? God, thank you for letting us be salt and light. May we hold you in our hearts and hold your love for us in our hearts that we might share that love with everyone and be salty and bright. In your name we say amen. Amen. Thanks for listening, friends. You may go back to sit with your parents or you may go to extended session. Well, we've been following Matthew, and we've seen the remarkable circumstances by which Jesus was born. We've seen the narrow escape that his parents made from the wrath, the murderous wrath of Herod. 
We've seen Jesus be baptized by John, and uh, we've seen the Holy Spirit's presence with Jesus in that baptism, and the Spirit's presence as he goes into the wilderness to face the tempter. And then we saw last week Jesus flees north to the Sea of Galilee to, to, to get away from the authorities who are persecuting John. And there he finds these fishermen and he invites them to follow after him. Jesus begins to preach about a new empire and that new empire is here. And that message resonates with those people who are sick and tired of the old empire. And people are drawn from all over the place to see him. He's laying hands upon people and he's healing their bodies from the sicknesses that afflict their bodies and their spirits. And now he's set to explain, to tell us what this new empire is all about. So he goes up onto the mountain just like Moses did before to receive the law from God. Jesus goes to teach us about God's kingdom. Blessed are the poor and the mourners and the meek and the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart, the peacemakers, and those who suffer. These are beguiling words. They are not a strategy for how you are to live your life. They're not life's little instruction book. They're not practical, they are anathema to our culture of listicles. You know what a listicle is, right? Improve your life in five simple steps. The power of the words is their impracticality. Jesus announces to his disciples and to anyone who has ever lived on the face of this earth that God's kingdom is absurd. It's absurd. Blessed are you when you're lost. Blessed are you when you're at your wit's end. Blessed are you when you have nothing left to pay the bills this month. Blessed are you when the love of your life dies before you do. Blessed are you when you long for a just world that doesn't exist and doesn't look like it ever will. Blessed are you when you release others after they've hurt you. Blessed are you when you see the best in every person around you. Blessed are you when you see the humanity even of your enemies. Blessed are you when the world looks at you doing all these foolish things and calls you naive and calls you a chump and tells you only suckers believe that crap. Jesus lays it all out here for us. The kingdom of heaven, God's kingdom, God's realm, the beloved community of God is not like the world that you know. It's a paradoxical world. You know what a paradox is? It's something that appears to contradict itself. The paradox in these Beatitudes is that God is supposed to be powerful and good and strong, right? The creator of all that is. 
So if this great God is going about blessing things, marking those things as holy, marking people as holy, shouldn't that come with some kind of good fortune? Shouldn't God's blessing be like a a force field around us? Shouldn't our status as being blessed by a powerful God be evident in the quality of our life, in our wealth, in our power, in our carefree existence? Hashtag blessed. These beatitudes mark the decisive moment when Jesus establishes the beguiling quality of his life and God's reign. The God who is Lord of all creation does bless people. This God is especially present to people. When you hear the word blessed in this passage, You should hear, God is especially with you when. God is especially with you when you are poor. God is especially with you when you are weak and at the end of your rope. God is with you when you're in the pit of grieving. God is with those of us who are losers and lost and left behind. Remember now that Jesus is talking to people who are on the business end of the Roman Empire. We've seen already, as we've been reading along in Matthew, from the way that people flock to John the Baptist in the water, and the way they leap up and respond to Jesus' invitation to follow them, that people are hungry for a way of life that makes sense. These folks are hungry for a way of life that reverses the oppressive power of the empire. They want a way of life that is humane, a way of life that invests every human being with dignity and worth. They want that. They know that empires and unjust economies value people differently according to their proximity to wealth and power. Jesus calls this a lie. And he says, God values first the people farthest away from power and wealth. There is no doubt that Jesus is drawing lines here. Call it a preferential option for the poor. Howard Thurman called it Jesus' affection for the disinherited. Jesus says those of us who struggle are God's favorites. God is with you, he says. And if your soul aches at the persistence of inequity in the world, at the persistence of injustice, and if your, your soul's sick at the machinery of war making, and if you want a different world where love reigns and every human being is honored and everyone is fed, God is with you. Now the problem And I hope you see the problem. The problem is that the world that Jesus describes 
in which the meek inherit the earth. And those of us who are poor and persecuted are rewarded. That world does not appear to exist. Jesus says as much. Your reward, he says, is in heaven. So that's where we come to with this text. None of these lovely paradoxical things that Jesus describes feels like it is fully true. Certainly not in a way that we can hold and touch or put in our pocket. So what are these Beatitudes? Are they just a con? Are they just a way to butter up and to sweet talk folks who are already vulnerable? To bait them with a promise of future reward? Some say that's been the Christian con game the whole way through. Come, bring your treasure to us now and surely God will reward you in the by and by. I don't blame anyone for being cynical about this part of Christianity. Christianity has been as corrupt and exploitative as any institution the world has ever seen. We've traded on the promises of Jesus. One day, one day, someday, you will see all these good things when you get to heaven. But here's the one thing I want you to know. Jesus never says we have to wait to get to heaven to see the world that he describes, to see this kingdom of God. In fact, he says the very opposite. Remember what his very first proclamation is. The words that he borrows from his friend and mentor, John the Baptist. What does he say? The kingdom of heaven has come near. The kingdom of heaven has come near. We corrupt the scriptures when we say that heaven is a place that we go to. No, heaven is God's future and it is coming to us. Heaven comes to us, and it comes so close to us, so near to us, that we can see it with our eyes, we can smell it in our nose, we can taste it in our mouths, and touch it with our fingers. When those of us who are materially poor have our needs fully met, When those of us who are grieving are held in the arms of another and our tears are wiped away. When the mighty are pulled down from their positions and when our politics and economics value every person equally. 
when forgiveness and restoration and reparation are chosen every time over revenge. When peace and justice are not abstractions, but when they live so powerfully in your own imagination, when you can see humankind enjoying peace and sharing justice, when it's so present in your mind that you can almost taste it on your lips. That's heaven. That's God's future. And it's coming. And so Jesus is inviting you right now to live your life in expectation of that future. Lean toward that future. Hunger for that future. Aspire to that future. Live as though the poor folk that you meet in your community are the most important folks you will ever meet. It's like meeting God, Jesus says. Live as though grief, when it finds us, can yield the deepest kind of peace. Live as though every conflict in this world has a peaceful solution. When you live this way, you will look like a fool. You will. And people will make fun of you. You will make people uncomfortable and they will mock you. They will. And the truth is they may, if you are forceful enough in living as though people may hurt you, because of how invested they are in the world that is. But when you live as though God's kingdom is near enough to touch and taste, when we live together as though that realm, that community is here among us, we will be the salt that preserves the world and makes it taste good. We will be the light by which the world sees what is true. Salt and light live as though. Amen.